Tonight's reading is on page 1,218 in the Church Bibles. Page 1,218, and it's from Peter's first letter, chapter 2, beginning to read at verse 13. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every authority instituted among men, whether to the king as the supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish men. Live as free men, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as servants of God. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the brotherhood of believers. Fear God. Honor the king. Slaves, submit yourselves to your masters with all respect, not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. For it is commendable if a man bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because he's conscious of God. But how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, This is commendable before God. To this you were called, because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin, and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, He entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Slightly perplexed as I stand up here because the the reading desk here is covered in dust and I'm wondering whether that's uh, a harbinger of something larger about to fall upon me. And the light is flickering. So I think we should pray that the Lord would uh, drive away the dust from his word and shine the light of his truth into our hearts. Shall we do that together? Father God, thank you for your word. Thank you that it is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. And we pray now, dear Lord, that you would indeed blow away the cobwebs around our hearts and minds. Open our hearts, dear Lord, that we might follow where you lead. Open our minds that we might receive your word deep in our souls. And so, Father, we pray that you be glorified in us uh, as you fashion your Son, our Saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ, in each of our lives this night. For we ask it in his name. Amen. Well, do keep your Bible open to uh, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse uh, 13 and following, page 1,218. Uh, 
When I was eight years old, uh, my daughter Mary's age now, and uh, I was growing up in Australia, uh, my parents applied for my first British passport. And uh, a little while ago, I compared that original uh, passport uh, with my uh, current pinky purple European Union uh, British passport. Uh, The obvious difference, of course, was that the old black, hard-covered British passport was much more impressive to look at, Uh, definitely the product of people who had run an empire. Uh, But inside uh, was a more subtle difference. Uh, In 1977, uh, I was a British subject. In my present passport, uh, I am a British citizen. And all reference to my being a subject uh, has now, it seems to me, disappeared Uh, And I think that change is significant uh, and maybe helps us to understand (laughs) what Peter is saying to us tonight uh, in uh, his letter. To be a subject uh, is to know your place as someone under authority. Uh, Subjects submit to the rule of their sovereign uh, or their president or uh, his or her government and officials. Uh, To put it another way... uh, a word subject focuses attention on the responsibility, responsibility of the individual uh, to be an obedient uh, member of that society, uh, paying due allegiance uh, to those placed in authority over them. The word citizen uh, gives a rather different sense. It focuses attention on the rights of the individual. Uh, We see this even in the scriptures. In Acts 22, uh, when the apostle Paul reveals his Roman citizenship to the Roman centurion who is about to flog him, the centurion tells the commander, and the commander immediately orders a stop to the flogging and is greatly alarmed because if Paul was a Roman citizen, then he had the right not to be flogged without trial. And we are, of course, both. Uh, And being citizens uh, in this kingdom, uh, there is much we ought to be thankful for. Uh, We have a monarch who rules by a government we have the right to elect. We've just prayed for our sovereign quite rightly and thanked God for her Christian profession. There are all sorts of blessings we have as citizens uh, of this country. Uh, As Christians, we may meet freely and speak openly, uh, unlike many of our brothers and sisters across the world this very evening. So we may not be without our problems, uh, but we are certainly not without our blessings as citizens of the United Kingdom with uh, rights and privileges attached. So what then about this rather old-fashioned notion of being a subject that no longer dares speak its name in the modern passport? Uh, How should we regard ourselves as subjects or as citizens? Well, I want to suggest that uh, though both have their place, uh, Peter's emphasis to us here in this passage this evening uh, is quite clearly that we are primarily to regard ourselves as subjects, as those under authority. Uh, Peter uh, punctuates this passage uh, with the word uh, that citizens who focus on their rights don't find easy to hear. Uh, That is the word submission. And his message to us in this passage uh, is that the Christian mindset is to be fundamentally one that is submissive. Submissive to God, uh, submissive also to that authority which God in his providence has ordered uh, around us and over us. That's submissive uh, to his ordering of our lives. That's submissive in the way in which we conduct our daily business. For the picture here is of God, the great king, and us as his subjects, and subjects of him who learn to be submissive in all our ways. 
It's very striking. David uh, so hopefully led us uh, last week uh, through thinking in those uh, previous rich uh, verses uh, about the wonderful privilege we have, our status uh, as uh, those who are a holy nation, a people belonging to God. Uh, We had, as it were, uh, an exposition uh, from that section on the joys of being citizens of what Paul would call uh, the kingdom of heaven. But uh, having spoken of the uh, the joy and the privilege uh, of being citizens uh, of God's kingdom, uh, Peter then goes on to apply uh, the practical outworking of it. And it's not that we sit back and wait for people to serve us, uh, for after all, we are sons and daughters uh, of the king uh, if we are believers in the Lord Jesus. He says, no, uh, rather you uh, who have uh, this glorious privilege of being the chosen people, the holy nation, the people belonging to God, now you must learn that in practice that means you must live a life of submission. Perhaps it's not what we are expecting uh, to hear, but it is exactly the way in which Peter takes it. He applies it uh, in these verses in four areas, uh, that we are to learn submission as subjects uh, to earthly rulers, Uh, that we are to submit as servants in our daily work. Uh, And the key thing that makes us the Christian way of life, uh, he comes on to in the latter part of the passage uh, when he uh, commends Christ as the grand example in all this, that we're to submit, therefore, like Jesus himself submits. And finally, we do it all uh, out of submission to Christ himself uh, because he is our Lord. We submit like him, and we submit in these other areas that Peter covers. Let's then work through together and see how Peter works it out. Verses 13 to 17, we are to submit, he says, as subjects. This is the passage, in fact, that was most appropriately read at our Queen's coronation. I think it was an absolutely right choice. Submit yourself to the Lord's sake, to every authority instituted among men, verse 13. Or to put it another way, in dealing with the authorities in society, think of yourself as a subject first and a citizen second. Our basic mindset uh, to authority, to secular authority, Peter is talking about, is to be one of submission and obedience. And that's even more striking uh, when we realize that almost certainly, uh, as far as we can put the evidence together, uh, Peter is writing this letter from Rome at the time when the Emperor Nero uh, was on the throne of the Roman Empire. Uh, The emperor uh, known to us as the great persecutor of the Christian church. Uh, who put to death scores of Christians simply for being believers. And so when Peter says this, uh, he's not speaking uh, in Christendom. Uh, He's not speaking when there is a benign ruler uh, upon the secular throne. Uh, He's speaking uh, against the background uh, of a pagan persecuting emperor uh, when he says, submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every authority instituted among men. It is quite striking, isn't it, when we realize that background. Now, he's just spoken, verse 12, uh, of the fact that Christians will be, as a matter of course, accused of doing wrong by unbelievers, by pagans. So we shouldn't think for a moment that, uh, as I say, Peter was writing uh, when all was well. Uh, But rather, he says, in spite uh, of the wickedness uh, and unbelief uh, of the civil authorities, we must, as Christian people, be loyal subjects 
doesn't matter whether we think the laws are good or the government uh, is righteous. Our calling is to be submissive to every authority instituted among men. Well, that certainly, and that's why it was at the coronation, uh, includes the head of state, the king, or in our case, a queen. Uh, or is it, in fact, the European Parliament these days? We may have strongly held political views on the rightness or wrongness of it, but is it an authority legally established? Well, then whatever we may argue in our democracy ought to be the future. Our Christian calling is to be submissive to the authority as it is instituted among men. Uh, Working down uh, verse 14, the whole range of officials who exercise authority are to have that same honor paid to them as they apply the laws of the land uh, within the system. Now, Peter doesn't mean us to take this attitude absolutely. Uh, we know that because uh, elsewhere uh, in the book of Acts, uh, when he was himself commanded to do something that God's word forbade, uh, he said this memorable phrase, we must obey God rather than men. Uh, of course, if the state uh, compels us uh, to do something which is entirely contrary uh, to God's word, Uh, then we must refuse. We have a higher authority than even uh, the civil rulers. There may be many times like that. Uh, But I would suggest that, by and large, our problem uh, is not that we find uh, the law is immoral, but that we find it is costly, or that we find it is inconvenient, or or that we ourselves have chosen uh, a different course, uh, often in things like lower tax rates uh, or or, uh, uh, less binding obligations around Uh, so many uh, of uh, the rules that surround modern life. And the Apostle of Christ says to us, uh, unless uh, it is directly contrary to what God's word tells you you must do, well, then we must learn submission. That's what Jesus said too. Uh, He said, uh, if someone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Well, the background to that teaching was that under Roman law, a centurion, quite unfairly, quite arbitrarily, uh, could compel a civilian to carry his pack for one mile. It wasn't a right or good thing, uh, but that's what Roman law says. And Jesus commanded us, as his subjects, to willingly submit even to unfair and arbitrary laws. The centurion forces you to go one mile, well, you go the extra mile uh, and show him uh, that you're doing that as one who has been made free uh, because now, out of loyalty to Christ, uh, you are going uh, to serve that one uh, who is uh, imposing his will upon you. And so, uh, Peter says, as we do this, uh, willingly and cheerfully, uh, without grumbling or grudging, well then, verse 15, our non-Christian neighbors will be surprised, and they will be surprised, won't they? They're busy grumbling about their taxes and trying to avoid complying with all this red tape and complaining endlessly about the government's inability to rule the country. And yet Peter says, it is as we submit willingly, it is God's will that by doing good, you should silence the talk of foolish men. Again, it's an unexpected way of reasoning, isn't it? And maybe it doesn't come naturally even to us here gathered in church this evening. And yet Peter says to us, uh, we can silence those uh, who would stand up against the Christians by our law-abiding conduct, uh, by not moaning uh, about the state uh, or its failures, 
Uh, we may do a more effective work of promoting the gospel with our skeptical neighbors, uh, he says, uh, than many other things. I do notice just in passing from verse 14 uh, that God's purpose in ordering society by human government uh, is to promote his justice. Uh, the primary purpose of government uh, in the Lord's purposes is a moral one, not an economic one. Uh, given that we have the privilege of electing our leaders, uh, that tells us something, doesn't it, about how we should make our choices at the ballot box. We need to be looking for leaders uh, who are morally upright uh, rather than those who have uh, the best economic fix. Uh, for the system. Uh, but back to us, uh, why is it so important to be a loyal subject? Uh, well, Peter gives another reason, verse 16, uh, because uh, this is the way in which we are to express our freedom in Christ. It's there in that example Jesus gives. Uh, the law compels one mile. You express your freedom and your loyalty to Jesus by choosing to go the second. Or slaves or uh, of God, uh, the translation here is servant. It is literally slaves. Uh, we belong to him alone, far above uh, all earthly authority, and yet we express that liberty in glad and joyful submission to the authorities that he and his providence has set up under him. Well, as I say, it may be uh, a way of thinking that is alien to us and may take a little pondering as we go back home. Uh, but it is, Peter says, uh, the way in which often when we are powerless, we have opportunity to demonstrate our freedom, uh, not out of grudging compliance, but out of willing submission. Uh, verse 17 uh, puts it together and takes it further, although actually uh, our translation slightly muddies Peter's point. Verse 17 is uh, four separate commands. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood of believers, fear God, and then honor. The same word as the first uh, little command, honor the king. So how are we to straighten out these priorities? Uh, well, well, first of all, we must honor everybody. We're to have, a, again, that basic mindset that says uh, we are going to be respectful and courteous to all people, whoever they are, whether they're above us in the uh, human way of ordering society or below us. Uh, as we were thinking this morning uh, from the teaching of the Lord Jesus uh, that James was so helpfully leading us through, uh, it really does not matter how the world orders things. Uh, we must be those uh, who consider uh, our unity in Christ uh, and in the creation uh, and therefore that we must get on with serving uh, rather than working out the pecking order. So we must honor everybody. Are they a believer or an unbeliever? Doesn't matter. We must be those who give honor to all those who bear the image of God. Next comes the church. Uh, we must certainly honor our fellow Christians, but there's more. Uh, the showing of uh, a strong and deep love to the brotherhood of believers. That's the second tier, as it were. We honor all people. We love our brothers and sisters. Well, next comes a still higher obligation. Uh, we must certainly honor God. Uh, we must love God. But more, Peter says, we must fear him. That is, we acknowledge him to be the one uh, who has all authority in heaven and on earth. And then what Peter does is go back to the same word he started with. He's worked up and then he's back down to that common denominator word, honor. In spite of the way some governments uh, and monarchs behave, we're not to put them on the same level as God, fearing them, or even as our fellow Christians, loving them. We are to honor them. 
And the way in which we honour them uh, is by submitting to them as their subjects. But more important, Peter says, than that is that we love each other uh, and we fear God uh, and name him as our Lord. So we submit, I forgot the slides, uh, as subjects. Second verses 18 to 20, we submit as servants. So slaves, uh, submit yourselves to your masters with all respect, uh, not only to those who are good and considerate, uh, but also to those uh, who are harsh. Uh, if the last paragraph uh, was counterintuitive and countercultural, this is even more so. It's one of those sections of the New Testament we find very hard to hear uh, and even harder perhaps to see how it applies to us today. Again, maybe a little background, though, will help. Uh, slavery uh, in the first century world, the first century Roman world, uh, was very different to the model of slavery that probably comes into our minds. We, we tend to think of slavery uh, in terms of the experience of black Africans in the British Empire and in the United States of America in the 18th and 19th uh, and even through into the 20th centuries. It was a shameful period of uh, history when people were stolen and exploited, shipped across the world uh, to work in inhuman conditions for their white masters. It is a shameful and dreadful practice. But in Roman times, uh, while slavery was not something you would ever choose, it wasn't quite the same. It was very different uh, to that uh, European experience and African experience of recent centuries. Slaves, of course, could be uh, mistreated, but generally uh, the evidence that has come down to us suggests that they were well cared for by their owners. Uh, Many Roman laws uh, protected their well-being in contrast uh, to the African slave trade. Uh, Slavery was not racial. Uh, It's another crucial difference. Uh, African uh, Roman citizens often had African slaves. Uh, Italian Roman citizens had Italian slaves and so on. Uh, Slavery was widespread, a a fundamental part of an economic system uh, that didn't have bankruptcy laws. If you went broke, you sold yourself into slavery to pay off the debt. Uh, But slaves in the Roman world uh, were normally paid for their work, and they could expect eventually to purchase their freedom. Uh, Neither were they uh, merely unskilled workers, uh, people that we would think of as uh, managers and foremen, uh, nurses, musicians, uh, were often slaves in Roman culture. Uh, many people that we would describe as professionals, uh, teachers uh, or doctors, uh, were often within that slave caste or class of people. So although we don't have an exact equivalent, uh, perhaps the most direct parallel with slaves in Peter's day is not with the slavery uh, that we shudder when we think of in our own recent history, but actually with the category we're rather more familiar with, that of employees. Although employees uh, are free to change jobs in terms of skills and wages, uh, they were perhaps the nearest we have to an equivalent uh, of that group that constituted about a third uh, of Roman society in the first century. Indeed, the word that Peter uses for slaves uh, in verse 18 is not the usual one in the New Testament. Uh, It could sometimes include free men as well as slaves. Uh, Maybe a better translation would be servant. I'm not arguing there's an exact equivalent. Perhaps it's a closer parallel uh, than would be immediately obvious to us if we just looked at our English translations. And so what, therefore, does Peter say to servants, to employees who want to follow Christ at work? Well, in a word, 
It is submit. The same word again. Submit to your masters. Submit to your employers. Uh, Indeed, the point of these verses uh, is that submission is the way for Christians, not just when your boss is good and considerate, but even when he is harsh. Uh, For it is commendable if a man bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because he is conscious of God, Peter says. But how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and enduring it? And if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. It sounds dreadful. It is dreadful, but Peter intends it to liberate us so that we might express our primary loyalty to God in the workplace. The reality is, even in our culture and society, many people don't have real freedom in choosing their jobs. They might long to be doing something different, but actually the opportunities are denied them. They might long to have a more just boss or more equitable working conditions. But even in the 21st century, we know that for many people, those things are simply not a reality. How then do we express our Christian faith if work for us is burdensome? And we would long to be somewhere different, but it is simply not possible for us. Well, Peter says, even in that situation where it feels like we have no choice, actually our freedom in Jesus Christ is gives us a choice, Uh, even when we're treated unfairly, uh, even when we have no realistic opportunity of escaping. Oh, now Peter says if you uh, get a beating, whether literally or metaphorically, because you deserve it, there's nothing noble about that. If you uh, are dishonest in your work and you're caught and punished for it, uh, well, don't try and complain that your boss was being unfair or that your wages were too low and you somehow could justify it like that. And if, on the other hand, you suffer unfairly in the workplace, and as a Christian you decide to do what Peter here commends and to endure it, to bear up under it because you're conscious of God, well, then that gains God's approval. It gains his commendation. And so it gives us that freedom to serve Christ in our workplace, even, and as it were, seeing through our boss who may be a rather less than Christ-like character. Again, our instinct takes us the other way, doesn't it? When things are tough at work, uh, we're tempted to grumble, to resent the one who exercises their authority at our cost, grudgingly uh, doing what's necessary when the boss's eye is on you, uh, only to escape and do the opposite when it isn't. The gospel trains us to endure, uh, to submit out of loyalty to Christ, to be loyal uh, to our employer, to be loyal to our master, uh, because we're loyal to him, and not necessarily because our master has anything deserving of loyalty in and of himself. So the gospel leads to the free choice that only Christians can make, to choose voluntarily to submit to a sinful earthly master, precisely because we are servants of a heavenly and perfect master. As I say, it's uh, almost as far from our instinct and culture as it's possible to be. And yet Peter says this is the way to live as those who are free in Christ, freely choosing to submit as subjects and to submit as servants uh, in the society and the workplace respectively. And next Peter moves on to show uh, why this is the only truly Christian way of living in the world because thirdly he says, 
Uh, in doing this, we are submitting like Christ. Uh, to this life of submission uh, that almost always involves a measure of suffering, we were called, very strong word, verse 21, it wasn't accidental, it wasn't because God's eye was not on uh, our lives and their particular set of circumstances. No, we were called to this that matrix of suffering in which we have the freedom to submit because, verse 21, Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. Jesus taught his followers three things about his suffering. All of them are here. First, that the Christ must suffer. We thought about that in this morning's service. Christ suffered, says Peter. Second, that Jesus' suffering was for us, a ransom payment for our freedom from the slavery of sin. Christ suffered for you, Peter says, and we'll remember that as we gather around his table later on. And third, and this is the focus here, that all those who follow Christ must be similarly prepared to suffer. Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. And verses 22 and 23 uh, focus on this last aspect of suffering, that Christ goes ahead of us as our example And he does it uh, by, in godliness, submitting to God's plan for his life that, of course, took him uh, through rejection and took him to the cross. Suffering, because we're sinners, very easily leads us into sin, especially when that suffering uh, comes as a result of other people's wickedness. We're particularly in danger of sinning uh, by what we say and how we say it. Uh, We can sin by grumbling and complaining. And sin by plotting revenge or harboring evil thoughts in our hearts. We may be tempted to turn against God himself because he's allowed it to happen. But if we're following Jesus, well then we follow the one who committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Indeed, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly extraordinary example we have if we have to suffer unjustly and I know that some of us really do in the workplace I've had conversations with some of you recently that have uh, shared where you've shared with me some of the uh, awful hardship that some of you I know are going through when we do that that raft of temptations is there before us but so is the Lord Jesus who entrusts himself to him who judges justly Is the society oppressing us as Christian people? Well, yes, increasingly it is. Is our workplace environment oppressing us personally? Well, for many, many of us, that will be the case. Well, then let us learn, Peter says, from the example of our Lord Jesus himself. He did not retaliate. He made no threats. He didn't respond in uh, those human uh, ways that come so easily to us of justifying ourselves and condemning others. Now he simply entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He was submissive to his father and he accepted his father's ordering uh, of his life and he trusted that his father in the end would see that justice was done. And just as Jesus did, as the pressure of the world increases and the pain deepens, well, then so he stands before us ever more clearly as the one who suffered for us, 
but also like us, as our example that we may submit as he did. And so fourthly and finally, uh, we are to do it all because we submit, not just like Christ, but to Christ. Verse 24, uh, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. Uh, Referring to the cross as a tree, Peter's reminding us that in the Old Testament law, uh, anyone who is hung on a tree is under God's curse. We deserve to be under God's curse for our sins, but Jesus takes our place. That is the gospel. He bore our sins in his body. He's there as the substitute. He endures the penalty of our sins, and he does it so that we might be completely separated from our sin and its consequence and have in him a new life of righteousness. The word might in the middle of verse 24 is not quite in the right place in our translation. It's literally that Jesus bore our sins so that we, having died to sin, might live for righteousness. The idea is that Christ has borne completely the penalty of our sins so that we are dead to them, completely free of accusation and condemnation. And he frees us so that we might live the life of righteousness, of obedience to Jesus Christ and his word. By his fatal wounds, we are eternally healed in his death. And as we take the bread and wine, we appropriate it for ourselves, is our life and life eternal. For you, verse 25, you were like sheep going astray, but now you've returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Like wandering sheep, we've all gone astray from God. By sin, we shut the door on God, and by his wrath against our sins, he shuts the door on us. But the gospel says, Jesus has borne the wrath of God against our sins. God has opened the door of his mercy, We are called to enter it by turning, returning to God, putting our trust in the good shepherd and his death for our sins. And so where once our life was aimless and condemned, the only authorities we jostled against and resisted were those earthly rulers and the circumstances of our daily lives. In Christ we find a shepherd and overseer who restores our souls, who leads us in paths of righteousness. He sets us free, free to live submissively, submissively to our God and to his ordering of our lives that sees above the monarch, above the daily circumstances, to the God who loves us enough to send his son to die for our sins and who now enables us to live with godliness, with contentment in faith, willingly serving Christ in the way we have a submissive attitude towards others and our circumstances, that we, like our Savior, may entirely trust our Heavenly Father, who in the end will judge justly. The Lord is my shepherd. I wonder if you can say that for yourself. And if he is your shepherd, then the paths he takes you down may often be dark and difficult ones. As you submit yourselves to his fatherly, shepherd-like, loving ordering of your life. As you look at the good shepherd who has gone before us as our example, and more than that, as our saviour, then we shall find that his grace is sufficient 
that he will enable us uh, to uh, so honor him in the way in which we live as free men and women and freely choosing to be submissive to all that God has ordained. Let us pray. Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, a curious passage for many of us this evening, perhaps taking us in unexpected directions. And yet, Father, here is your gospel. Here is the one who bore our sins in his body on the tree. Here is your great love as our shepherd. Father, we lift to you those areas in which we suffer those circumstances of our lives that cause us pain. There's many ways in which we're tempted to respond with retaliation or harsh words, perhaps justly confessing that our lives are very unfair. And we pray, dear Father, to come to your Son, to submit to him, and to learn to submit like him, that we might not chafe against your ordering of our lives, but live as those who are free in Christ to be submissive. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.